0: To set-aside prayer god please set aside everything i think i know about you god the steps recovery the big book what's best for me what's best for others especially help me let go of all my old ideas so i can live on your truth heavenly father of grace and mercy on me a sinner help us to glorify you today by carrying your message in jesus name amen okay so we're on uh, there's a solution And uh, we've gotten to the point, we're going to see where, how we got here today. And the hand of God. And we're looking at um, in 1932, um, Roland Hazard was dying of alcoholism. And he was from a very wealthy Providence uh, shipbuilding family. And uh, there was no hope for him. There was no AA. And we're going to see how he goes to uh, Switzerland and how he sees we're going to be on page 26 tonight, how he uh, sees Dr. Young, and Dr. Young gives us the solution. The problem we got from uh, Dr. Uh, Silkworth, he told us we had an allergy of the body, and he told me that we told us we can't live sober. Because we get irritable, restless, and discontent, and then we seek the ease and comfort of alcohol. We keep doing this over and over again. And unless we can uh, have a change in our personality, a psychic change, nothing's going to happen. And he had no way to do that. The medicine couldn't do that. So uh, Frank Buckman was a uh, minister who. basically left the church in Philadelphia because he got in a fight because people weren't doing what he wanted. Anybody ever heard of that? So he goes to England and he ends up in Oxford listening to a lecture from a woman minister giving a speech on resentment. And when she was talking about how that blocks us from God, the cross, he could see the cross became an eye and he could see how he was the cause of the problem. And something happened to him, and he decided to start a spiritual movement called the Oxford Group of Christians who wanted to be able to practice Christianity like it was in the first century and grow in the image and likeness of God and how they could live in the light and how they could grow in sanctification. And so they had this uh, group, they started meeting, and uh, he went to uh, China in 1924, and he met this young minister named Frank, uh, named uh, uh, Shoemaker, what's his first name? Samuel Shoemaker. And he was, uh, couldn't, he was having a lot of trouble getting the spiritual message across, and uh, Buckman talked to him a lot about how, how to do that, how to talk to people, how to carry the message of, of, uh, of uh, growing in the image and likeness of the Creator. And uh, for, uh, Shoemaker was really involved in self, and felt uh, he wasn't doing enough and he wasn't good enough. And they had some steps in the Oxford Group, and uh, Shoemaker uh, changed, and he went back to New York, and he. Uh, founded the Calvary Church and uh, it was a prominent church in New York and um, the Oxford group met there and so God uh, put Frank Buckman and Samuel Shoemaker together and then they ended up in New York and then we're going to read about Roland Hazard and he goes to Dr. Young and he's dying and then eventually he came back to uh, New York and went to the Oxford group at the Calvary Church. And then uh, two years later, he uh, had a friend, Seagraves, C. Graves. Se Zebra Graves, what a name. That's how we got here. And Sebra Graves, his dad was a judge in Vermont. And they had somebody there named Ebby Thatcher who was dying of alcoholism that they were going to lock up. And so uh, Roland and uh, Zebra, (laughs) Zebra, they went to Dad and they said, give us Ebby, Don't lock him up. They said, you can have him as long as you don't bring him back to Vermont. Because they didn't know what to do with alcoholics. And Ebby had shot up uh, the neighborhood and he drove his car into somebody's house. This is a true story, apparently. If it's not, let me know. If you're listening on the site and uh, he apparently asked the lady for a cup of coffee now, I don't know if that's a true story or not but it sounds like alcoholism and Ebby, Abby was dying and they brought him to New York and he went to the Oxford group and he lived uh, at the Cavalry Church and he uh, had to witness and at 60 days he had to go witness to somebody and carry the message and. They said, you have to find somebody who you think needs help. And he thought of Bill Wilson. Ever heard of him? Bill W. And he went to Bill. And then we read about that in Bill's story. And then Bill went to the hospital. And then he went survived six months and went to Akron, met Dr. Bob because God told him not to go into the bar. You see the picture. And then they went to uh, a number three, and we're here today kind of amazing, isn't it? And it wasn't anything that was planned. It was just the way it worked out. So we're going to read about where we got the solution. And uh, on pages 26 to uh, 28, and then we'll finish the chapter because there's so much in it. Uh, I don't think we'll finish it tonight. We'll finish it on uh, Saturday. And we'll read the first page and more about alcoholism, which is something everybody needs to understand. So it says a certain American businessman had ability, good sense and high character. That's probably true for a lot of us when we start out but after we live under the uh, power of alcohol. We do things that we wish we hadn't done. Has anybody done that make bad decisions hurt people we love. So and but for years he had floundered which means staggered helplessly from one sanitarium to another now. Notice, ability, good sense, and high character won't protect you from alcoholism. You see, you can have ability, you can have good sense, and, and why won't that protect you? Because you could still be self-centered. And then if you have the, the allergy to alcohol and the phenomena of craving, and you're self-centered, and then you get obsessed with fixing the things that go wrong in your life with alcohol. Did anybody do that in here? Any, yeah of course one sanitary but it was not a good solution see there is a solution it's not about drinking when you, things aren't going well there's a solution it's about there's another option it's a better option and it works and then they're going to tell you more about why you need it and more about alcoholism and then in the next chapter they're going to start talking about God and the changes that we need to make in relationship with him he consulted the best-known American psychiatrist. And why hadn't that worked? Because uh, that's a human solution. You get it? There's nothing wrong with psychiatry, but for us, we need a psychic change. We have a spiritual illness that only a spiritual experience can solve. Doesn't it say that in the book? Yeah, I think in the next chapter. So then he went to Europe. Now, George and Charlie make make a joke that uh, he couldn't go to Freud, because Freud was too busy. So he ended up going to Carl Jung in Switzerland, and that if we went to Freud, we'd all be on the couch, and <laughs> we'd all be dying, because uh, I don't know that Freud could have helped us. And you're going to see Dr. Jung couldn't help us either, but he knew what we needed to do. So he went to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician. and notice he starts with the, the physician, Dr. Young. And then the flimsy reed that was Dr. Young became eventually in his life, the hand the God and Roland Hazard recovered from alcoholism. Now Dr. Young prescribed for him. And uh, so what did he prescribe? We don't know. Uh, though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. Now, my understanding, he was there about a year getting therapy, meeting with him regularly. But he finished this treatment with unusual confidence. He was very confident. He felt like he was okay, he was gonna be okay. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. So he, he felt confident He had a good physical and mental condition. And above all, he believed he had acquired, now I wrote here from who? Who did he acquire this from? See, that's the problem. He didn't acquire this from God. He acquired it from himself. He had a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind. And it's hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. I just love it. I wanna, you wanna kinda giggle because my knowing the profound knowledge of my mind and its hidden springs is not gonna treat me. What I need to know about my profound knowledge of the inner workings of my mind and its hidden springs was that I can't believe it, I can't trust it, I can't trust my mind when it's telling me things that that are in the future that haven't happened or they tell me things about something that's happened today, some judgment, intolerance and patience and consideration. When I get angry, when I get fearful, I can't trust that profound knowledge. But he he was very confident in himself, he felt good. So how did all that work for him? He was drunk in a short time. Now, some people say that he left Switzerland and he took a train to France and he got drunk on the train. We don't know, but he relapsed. But here's the problem. I don't think Dr. Young understood that he was an alcoholic. I don't think he really told him. Could that possibly be? Could an alcoholic go to a psychiatrist for a year and not tell him the truth? Absolutely. Some have done it in the room. And more baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. You see, at a certain time, he had no defense against the first drink. He, he felt good, he had confidence, he was, he was in good shape, and he had some understanding about his, uh, himself, which is not bad, but that won't treat alcoholism. We wanna face and be rid of the things that are blocking us. We're not gonna face the things in us and understand them better and then still recover because we'll still be blocked from God. We wanna see the truth about these things. We want to see the truth about our fear, our relationships, our judgment. We want to see our wrongs and understand our character when we're separated from God, the character defects we have. So he returned to the doctor whom he admired and asked him point blank why he could not recover. Why couldn't he do it? He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite, you see, self-control won't help. I need God control. So this is very, in, in, in like two paragraphs, they described our illness and how it's really, uh, we have no defense against the first drink. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? Now, they've told you that in the in this chapter, right? And they're going to, And so we understood that we've lost the power of choice and we've lost the power of control once we drink. And do we ever get the power of choice back over alcohol? No. We get the power to seek the power that gives us choice. I don't ever think that I'm in control of my life, that I can be okay. I can only be okay when God's in control of my life. Now, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But we're all going to take control of our lives tomorrow. The key thing is how long are you going to do it? How long are you going to let it go before you give up and you let God take over? If you're new, what I'm talking about is if you get disturbed. Your wife says something you don't like. Things at work won't go well. The lights don't change fast enough. You can't find the right parking space. It's endless on the things that can disturb an alcoholic. Why? Because we're magnificent and everything should be the way we want it. Does that anybody who ever thought that? See, I shouldn't have to wait in line at Walgreens. Right? I shouldn't have to wait in line at the grocery store for somebody with fifty coupons. Don't they know how important I am? Does that ever it sounds crazy, but we think that way, at least in my understanding, in my experience I I had to l- I have to learn now that when I be seem impatient, that's because I'm back in self, and that I really just it is the way it is. So what works better, being impatient and intolerant, or saying that's the way it is? I'm just going to be like a normal person and just wait for things to work. It seems so easy. Does anybody ever get upset at all? No. And so he begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth and he got it in the doctor's judgment he was utterly hopeless so how did he go from all this confidence in the inner workings of his mind relapse was unthinkable and then he's he's hopeless because he hadn't probably told the doctor the truth the doctor didn't completely understand that he was a hopeless alcoholic so what does he say he could never regain his position in society, he would have to place himself under a locker key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. And that's what people thought of us in the 1930s, alcoholics. They probably think that today, but it's different. Um, that was a great physician's opinion. But this man still lives and is a free man, He's free of the bondage of self. He does not need a bodyguard nor is he confined. So how did he go from no control to being free and not being confined and he go anywhere in this earth where other free men may go without disaster. And then when he was, the doctor says he was utterly hopeless. I wrote he had passed through the region beyond which there was no human aid. You see, and that's what happened. When you pass through that area where human aid won't work for me, then I have an utterly hopeless condition of mind and body. But it's not because we have God and we have AA and we have this book and we have people that God will put in our lives to help us. So here's what, he had to do something. He had to remain willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. What is that simple attitude? See, and provided, I wrote, he has to surrender all the time to maintain a simple attitude, and the simple attitude is God is my director, and I seek him in all things, and that without God, I'm nothing. It's not that complicated. That's true for me. God is my director. I seek him in all things, and without him, I'm nothing. So if I'm waiting in line, God's still my director. Wait in line, Michael. He says, wait in line. What's the difference of five minutes in your life? Anybody ever get impatient here? Maybe I'm the only one who's that way. I'm, I'm a lot better than I used to be. But that's what it is. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. And they do. You know how I know they do? Because they don't want to work the steps. They don't want to take the action to seek God. They think that their plan's going to work. But that's not spiritual help, that's their help. That's a self-help program. That won't work. It has to be a God-help program. So when people say they're willing to do whatever it takes, but then they don't, they don't see that they need spiritual help. They're not surrendered. They're not completely defeated. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. The doctor said this, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic, that's not good. We all had that. But we had somebody celebrate 18 months today. And he had a hopeless condition 18 months ago, he told me, right? And it's, look how he is today. Works hard, has his own business, wife, kids, good dad, great guy. It's gonna help me with my leaves, right? There you go. He says, I've never seen a single case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Now, this is a really brilliant man, Dr. Young. But there was a reason that God sent Roland to Dr. Young. F- and he's going sh- we're going to show it. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed in on him with a clang. Now, I saw people who had hopeless conditions with cancer. But I never told them that they were hopeless. I never said that never told them how long they were gonna live. I would tell them what we could do and what we can't do. And i tell them there may be a point where we can't change the, this disease. And then I would talk to them as we went through this journey together so that they could accept the situation. But a lot of times they get better for a long time and then this and that, it's a long journey. But he was pretty blunt. And I think he was giving him uh, the truth. But the, so the doctor said, is there no exceptions, right? So the doctor says, yes, there is. So the, what made this doctor special was he had <coughs> humility. And I would also tell my patients, you know, I'm not God. I don't have the power. God has the power. You know, we have to give it all to him. We do his will, and, and we see wh- how it works out. He says, exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early time. So he, he, they understood that there was something that could be done. And what he said is, once in a while, alcoholics have what are called vital spiritual experiences. And then they're going to they have an appendix. Did we read the appendix? We read the appendix uh, uh, Saturday. Nobody remembered? You were all here. We did. Okay, good. Uh, to me, these occurrences are phenomenon, that means they cannot be explained. They appear to be in the nature of a huge emotional displacement of rearrangements, changing your thinking, change in the way you react. The whole, your whole core of your existence has changed. Now we read the second step proposition before the meeting and he talks about when the omnipotent narcissistic personality moves away from itself towards another direction to the alcoholic, that's a major shift. And that's what we need to do move from ourselves to to a a power greater than ourselves. And to do that, we have to be completely broken on our way. So if people aren't completely defeated, and they don't feel like there's no way out that they have, then they're not going to turn in that direction. And he says, the ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding force of these lives, are suddenly cast aside. So maybe it was, I want to be, have power, or I want to be respected, or I want to have a lot of money, or I want this and that. The ideas, the emotions, your attitude towards life, which are the guiding forces, are cast aside. Suddenly, notice the word suddenly. And a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And, and this is what we do in the steps four through nine. We cast aside the ideas and attitudes and emotions that we have in step four. We see the truth about them. We want to ask God to change and remove them and change the way we see them. Change our resentments, free of anger, free of fear, not harming people in relationships. Does that sound good? And then we see our character defects and and whose character we want to practice God's. We don't want to practice our character. So that's step six and seven. So that's basically four, five, six, and seven, how we get right with our thinking. And And it starts with our relationship with God. And a completely new set of conceptions, motives begin to dominate them. God's conceptions, God's motives. Are my motives serving me or serving God? What must we carry every day in our life? What does it say? A vision of God's will for me. His will not mine be done. And what's God's will for me? To be of service to him and others. To practice his character, to be loving, patient, kind, tolerant, considerate, compassionate. It's not that complicated. What's hard to do is to learn the way to live that way. So that it becomes automatic. So for me, when I get in a situation where I used to get disturbed, I just stop. I say, well, no, it's just this is what it is. And I don't waste too much time with it. it. We pause when agitated or doubtful and ask God for the right course of action. In fact, I had been trying, so his treatment, he had been trying to produce an emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Why? Because It'll work in people who can have a human solution, but if it it has to be a spiritual solution, it won't work, because he's a human being. He can't produce the spiritual solution. Now, human beings can guide us to the spiritual solution, and that's what we're supposed to be doing with a sponsor and helping somebody. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member, You think anybody who's been a good church member has ever been an alcoholic? See, being a church member won't help me treat this. It's not bad, but I have to be a good church member, but I have to have God as my director. Or if you're in church Christ and you have to give your life to God and you have to want to serve him and practice his will. And you have to, and how do you do that? It sounds really good, doesn't it? Well, that's what the steps are all about. There's specific directions on how to accomplish that. So he's giving them the solution, and then the book is then gonna turn to the steps to achieve that solution. This this, being a church member was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, it did not nece- spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. A whole change in your direction, a whole change in your actions. If you ta- if you want to change, but you don't want to take any action, then that's fantasy. When people take t- take the third step and say, "I turn my life over to God," I made a decision to do that, and then they don't take any action. They're living in a fantasy. And then they say, well, I turned my life over to God, and things are still pretty crappy out there. Well, why? Because you didn't take the action. So it's a fantasy. And I think that's what happens today. People come here, and they say, take a certain attitude. But without the actions, it won't do any good. How do you change? You have to be willing to change, right? What makes you willing to change? Pain, defeat, hopelessness. What do you have to do next? You have to believe you can change. Well, I believe I can change because Russ changed and he was a bigger mess than me. And Stu's changed and look at him. And so I can believe I can change. Then you decide to change, but you haven't changed yet. And that's where a lot of people get in AA. So how do you change? You take the action of the steps. And then what do you have as a result of that? Faith and trust in God and you've changed because you know that God exists, you have a relationship with him, you've had conscious contact with him, and you can understand that if you stay, stay in contact with him, you'll be okay. And we're gonna move away all the time like we do, but we know where we need to get back to. And so, um, he, here was the terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had the extraordinary experience which was already told you made him a free man. So they don't, um, he went back to New York, he went to the Oxford group, he worked the steps, and then uh, he stayed sober. He wasn't an active member of AA uh, with Bill and the New York group, but uh, he had a purpose in carrying the message to Ebby and then Ebi to Bill to us. So I'm just gonna finish with this paragraph here. We in our turn. So that was the dilemma he had faced. He was a hopeless condition of mind and body. He had to have this experience or he was doomed. And it says we in turn sought the same escape from what? From me, from my self-centeredness, from being powerless over alcohol. Anybody have that? An unmanageable life. And with the desperation of drowning men. So here's the thing. This book is not written for people having a bad day. This is written for des- desperate people. And that's why a lot of people don't like the book or they don't read it, I don't know. But this book is written for people who are, who are surrendered by the disease when they, when they get here. And then the book tells you why, because loss of control, loss of choice, And then it tells you what you need to do to recover from it. And so I like to see people who are drowning because that's the beginning of recovery. So if you're drowning, if somebody gives you a flimsy reading, you're drowning, you're not going to look at it and say, Oh, I don't want that. Right, you're going to grab it. Has anybody ever been in an undertow in the ocean? I used to go to the beach when I was a kid and I'd get, go too far out and then the waves come over and kind of drags you out. It's, it's not a good experience. I guess it's like waterboarding. I don't know. But it, it's not good. And, and if you wanted to grab anything, you would. So here it is. At first it's a flimsy read. It could be uh, your, your first sponsor, the first person you call, the first group you go to, the people give you the book and you start working the steps, and then guess what it, it proves to be the loving and powerful hand of God. So you don't have to start out with the loving and powerful hand of God. You start out with the flimsy reed. And the more work you do, the closer you God you get, it becomes the powerful hand of God. And guess what you get? A new life has been given you, or if you preserve, prefer a design for living that really works. Now I want to tell you, my design for living when I came in here was pretty crappy. It did not work. And I was willing to give up on that completely. That's the one thing I understood when I came here. It's the one thing I did right. I was 100% willing to not run my life anymore. Now that doesn't mean that I didn't do it, but I didn't want to do it. My life was unmanageable. I didn't understand it, I hadn't read the book, but I knew it was bad and I had no plan. And I have a new life now. A design for living that works most of the time. My wife tells me when it's not working. Do you get it? Nobody laughed. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but you can't explain to people who are new. You can't explain the change. They have to go through it. You can only tell them what happened to you. But you can't, you can't do it for them. And you don't know how the change is going to be for them. You just don't know. It says when we look back, the things that happened when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Close your eyes and think about your moment of complete defeat and look at your life today. Even if you're 30 days, 20 days, it's better. It's better than it was. So I hope this is helpful. This is so well written. And then we're going to talk about William James, and we're going to end the chapter and then we're going to look at page... Uh, Uh, 30 on uh, Saturday, so thank you guys.